This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of October the 3rd, 2022, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. In just two years, the arts and culture startup known as Gang Gang has become one of the most influential and active producers of events in Indianapolis, promoting the creative economy and the concept of equity. The founders are Melina Simone Jeffers and Alan Bacon, working from the precept that creative people of color continue to be underrepresented and underrecognized for their contributions to culture. Gang Gang means to change that. The group wants to bring these artists to the forefront, but everybody is welcome to collaborate. So what does that look like? Well, a few examples. Over Labor Day weekend, Gang Gang staged the second edition of Butter, a multi-day fine art fair showcasing the work of black visual artists. Last year, Gang Gang partnered with the Pacers organization to present the inaugural Indianapolis Day of Mental Health and Healing. Gang Gang helped organize Swish, a collection of more than 200 music performances featuring more than 600 musicians, all staged in the city while it hosted the 2021 NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. Even before launching Gang Gang, Jefferson Bacon were involved in organizing the artists who created the Black Lives Matter mural on Indiana Avenue in 2020. Newfields then invited Gang Gang to curate an exhibit about the making of the mural at the Indianapolis Museum of Art, but the exhibit never happened. Gang Gang pulled its participation and support after a race-related controversy erupted at the museum and forced the president there to resign. But their point wasn't to, as they say, cancel the museum. Jefferson Bacon have stayed in contact with museum leaders, leading to an historic event this month. Gang Gang curated and debuted the year-long exhibit, We the Culture, Works by the 18 Art Collective. It brings together the artists who painted the 2020 Black Lives Matter mural on Indiana Avenue to show their work. And it's the first exhibition of a collective of Black artists from Indiana in the 139-year history of the Indianapolis Museum of Art. Jefferson Bacon are our guests on the podcast this week, which gave us another chance to turn the podcast microphone over to Dave Lindquist, IBJ's arts and entertainment reporter. Their conversation covers the impact of We the Culture, the blueprint that Gang Gang is creating for stimulating the creative economy, why the group is trying to raise a half a million dollars by the end of this year, and what they foresee for Gang Gang over the next five years. Here's their conversation. I'm Indianapolis Business Journal reporter Dave Lindquist, and I'm happy to welcome Melina Simone Jeffers and Alan Bacon, co-founders of cultural development firm Gang Gang, to the IBJ podcast. Hello, Molly and Alan. Hello, Dave. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So we're getting together a few days after the We the Culture exhibition opened at the Indianapolis Museum of Art at Newfields. The artists in the show, known as the 18 Art Collective, initially came together to paint the Black Lives Matter mural on Indiana Avenue in 2020. Gang Gang helped to organize that mural, and you worked as guest curators for We the Culture. If I could go all the way back to the beginning, mm -hmm. how did you build the roster of the 18 artists? 
Oh, yeah, that is going all the way back to the beginning. That was via a call out via social media for artists um, who wanted to take a letter or character um, as part of the the mural. So so the group of the 18 it was not a curated group or, or, or collective in a sense. There was it was happenstance and volunteers and people that wanted to be a part of that moment. That's really amazing that uh, something by chance uh, grew into this. And one thread that runs through We the Culture is that black art is not monolithic. And it's interesting, like you were just saying, the letter and character forms of the mural placed functional parameters on the artists. But this new historic exhibition at Newfields allows a full range of personal expression. Is that one of the rewarding parts of uh, presenting the show? Oh, that's an interesting question, actually. I think maybe they are more similar than than they're not. With the Black Lives Matter mural letter, the artists were given just an, you know, an outline to do whatever they wanted within. Um, it's almost similar for the space allotment on a wall at Newfields that they were encouraged to do whatever within. I think as an artist and as a creative, being able to create on your own terms and just, you know, tell the story that you want to tell uh, in, in a sense is, is a pretty special and rewarding part for We The Culture specifically. Of course, We The Culture was not the original plan for the 18 Art Collective at Newfields. Uh, in February 2021, you and the artists withdrew an earlier concept based on the mural artwork, and that decision followed a job posting by the museum that included language that described the museum's white audience as the one that mattered most. And from the outside, it might have been easy to close that door completely. Why was it important for you and the artist to keep lines of communication open with the museum and work for the resolution that became We the Culture? Well, gosh, because it's our museum. You know, if this is Indianapolis's art museum, it is the people's museum. And so if we are thinking about um, the progress of a city and the role that institutions play, especially art institutions play within the ecosystem of that city. Well, how could we not have a relationship with that institution? And how could we not be at the table, especially, you know, during a horrible moment, like the one that we all experienced um, a year ago. And, and we're also looking at this as an opportunity for um, you know, creatives to really take charge and, and understand the just the historic opportunity that we have to to push this renaissance forward as it relates to this social justice movement. I mean, you've seen a lot of movements throughout the course of history, uh, whether that's during slavery and the Negro spirituals and during the, the height of Jim Crow, you had the Harlem Renaissance. And during the, you know, the 1960s, there's Mayfield and, and, and Marvin and, and Maya Angelou and, and, and James Baldwin's of the world. And it's the same, you know, types of juxtaposition and, and moment in history as 2020, what, you know, sparked by George Floyd. So having an opportunity, you know, once again, you know, born out of, you know, racist uh, atrocities or, or, or um, you know, these social justice issues, it was, it was a, a step forward. I mean, it's, it's about progress. And we went from, you know, having the opportunity to, to show uh, one's depiction of a social justice movement within the mural to the depiction on what, of oneself. Uh, so, I mean, that opportunity was, you know, something that we felt was a, a major step forward and really showed just the transformational change of, of what we're trying to accomplish. Well, you anticipated my next question, because at the opening reception, 
Colette Pierce Burnett, the new CEO at Newfields, talked about a renaissance. From what you just said, Alan, uh, you agree with with that, that it's happening? And what are the opportunities in a modern renaissance? A good example of an opportunity in the modern renaissance is gang gang. You know, so we, we understood that if, if 2020 was about what separates people, which a lot of these uh, moments in, 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 in history in, in America, we, we had another one occur in 2020. And uh, in response uh, to that, you know, we feel that that culture is the way forward, um, that, you know, bringing people together, amplifying messages of, of social justice and, you know, our ability to, to advocate through art is is important. So, so gang gang is, is in, in response, um, you know, and at the forefront. Yeah. Gang gang is a pioneer right now in this space and at this time and in this place, you know, like in Indiana. Right. Um, and doing this very pioneering and new work and leading the renaissance. And as it relates to Dr. Collette, it's really interesting. We had a, um, a donor event at High Alpha. Shout out to them for hosting. Um, and we had um, we invited Dr. Collette just four days before her first day at Newfields um, to speak and to be introduced you know, to civic leaders in Indianapolis. And um, her talk was the same as ours we found out that same night. We were both talking about a new creative renaissance um, that we were all on the front of and how excited she was to come to Indianapolis and join the energy um, that she's feeling already. So there's wonderful alignment that's happening there already. Um, And Dr. Collette will tell you that she thinks this time is meant to be um, and it absolutely is. There is a renaissance happening and we're all um, excited about where it can take us. One of the paintings in We the Culture, uh, Harriet Watson's Welcome, addresses, yeah. addresses the discomfort or perhaps the incongruous feeling of presenting Black art, her art, in a setting that's known as a white space. Um, why is it important to include that commentary in the show? Because it's truth. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, we're trying to advocate for as, as much as possible is just you know, just the vulnerability within transparency and being able to advocate and dispel one's feelings so we can get down to a very human reaction to what's going on. That was very well said. I, I, I wish I'd written it down. But Dave's taping it. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have time to talk about all 18 artists, but I wanted to ask about yeah. one more piece, uh, one that attracted yeah. a lot of people lingering on it that opening night. And I'm talking about Kevin West's Black Joy, which depicts two young men and one is holding what seems to be a college acceptance letter. What does that painting convey about the power of art? Literally, um, you know, when you walk into the room, the piece captivates you and, and communicates with you right away. So before even getting into like what's depicted or, or Kevin or any of it, I think we can all agree on the feeling and the movement that happens within us when we see the work itself. Um, that's, you know, just on its surface, the power of art. What Kevin is portraying is this bittersweet moment between like loss and mourning and joy and progress. Um, and he captured that really beautifully. And um, I'm really proud of Kevin. So there was a note like, Newfields or Indianapolis Museum of Art's been around 139 odd years. And this is a first. Um, have you been able to kind of pause and, and, and think about, about that accomplishment? 
You know, I think it's going to take a while to process what is happening now um, and all of the ripple effects that it will have um, throughout layers of the community. There, there is one um, kind of realization that I overheard that has been sticking with me since the opening last Thursday or the Thursday before last. Um, and it was that Ashley, Nora's daughter and her granddaughter, when they're in class as young students, um, if that student says to anyone, you know, says to the teacher or other classmates, my mom had a year long exhibition at Newfields or at the Indianapolis Museum of Art, the teacher right away is going to wonder who that student is. And they're going to Google Ashley Nora and they're going to right away look at that student differently. And in that moment, I realized this is generational change. This is a lifetime achievement that has been achieved, you know, by, by these 18 artists so much earlier than they thought, than we thought, than Newfields thought. That's the craziest part. This is sooner than Newfields even thought, right? We have, so talk about progress. Yeah, I, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to process. It's hard to know everything that will follow. But I think we all recognize that there's a moment happening and there is a change happening and change has to be intentional. And it feels like this. Yeah. And it's cool that this is coming out of Indianapolis. I mean, just out of, you know, out of all places and, you know, understanding you know, our history uh, as well from, from a lot of different, you know, layers um, and, and to see, you know, this type of progress and, and this moment is important, but there are a lot of moments. I mean, this is, this is a, this is a key moment uh, within just the art sector right now, but I mean, this, within this Renaissance, I mean, there's a lot of key movements and, and, and players and activities and, and experiences that are going on that are really pushing the envelope of this conversation. Okay. We, the culture opened a few short weeks after the second edition of Butter, the art fair, there was a smash hit once again at the Stutz. I don't want to ask you to divulge secrets, but what's the <laughs> secret to the electric, this is the only place to be atmosphere that you create for that event? Ooh, I don't know if I want to give away the secret. <laughs> the KFC, yeah. Like, Dave, Dave is asking for the, the recipe to the chicken. Uh, <laughs> I would say this first, just to you know, put it, uh, in, in, in context of, of why there would be some, some questions about a secret. Um, so just, you know, having this idea to produce this fine art fair centering, you know, black creatives and introducing a, a new equitable model um, to, to, to really um, help maybe just have some sense of trans transformational change in the fine art sector. So just that's, that's butter in essence, but to be able to do it in a, in, in a very cool way uh, but also maintain just the, the elevated status of, of, of fine art. And we were anticipating maybe a thousand people uh, to come for, you know, butter in 2021, ended up seeing 4,000 attendees and we sold $65,000 worth of art um, in 2021, which was huge. And we were amazed and we were floored and, and we didn't really understand at the moment what butter would become. Um, but I mean, year two having, uh, doubled in, in, in attendance, going from 4,000 to over 8,000 people and from $65,000 to a quarter of a million dollars worth of art sold, um, you know, during Butter Week is, is exceptional. And I think, you know, for us, it's cool to talk about the secret sauce because it's not necessarily a secret. 
you know, this is this is Indianapolis. These are Indianapolis artists, visual artists. These are Indianapolis creators that are creating the aesthetic of butter. These are Indianapolis uh, performing artists that are providing, you know, the, the, the DJs and, 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 and the live music. Uh, this is we are and forever will be an art town. I mean, the days of Indiana Avenue hasn't, uh, you know, left us. We're, we're the, you know, the, the children and, and grandchildren and, and great, you know, grandchildren of an era that really define music, you know, American culture in, in the 19, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. So um, that's the secret sauce. The secret sauce is, is Indianapolis is, is a cool hip cultural town and we have a lot of talent. And it's just about, you know, packaging that and providing a platform where it can really shine. I agree, but I think I would say it in a different way. I would say that if I, if there was a secret sauce, it would, you know, I would get into like intention and stuff like that, yeah, yeah. but the uniqueness and maybe how I would label everything you just said, Alan, is really the context. That is mm. the thing about butter that makes it different. That is everything you described. That's, you know, the feeling and um, what you get out of it and what it's trying to do. The context is the reason that we, uh, thought of butter, you know, because we had gone to so many exhibitions and especially after 2020, so many new exhibitions that were featuring the work of black artists. And the thought was the work is phenomenal, but the context isn't giving it justice. I can give this work justice. I can create something that is worthy of this art. And so that's the, that's, that's butter is about the context that, that lifts up the art. Um, yeah, that's what it is. And this, this one other caveat, uh, would be just, just design and the intention to design and marketing and brand. I mean, that's, that's a big part of, of butter. And that I think also goes along well with what Melina just stated, because it's about narrating the process and just narrating like what you haven't been able to tell the story. Okay. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IVJ podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ podcast and Dave Lindquist's conversation with Melina Simone Jeffers and Alan Bacon, co-founders of Gang Gang. When Congressman Andre Carson spoke at preview night of Butter, he shared the news of, Alan, your participation on a Black Congressional Caucus Foundation panel. Full disclosure, that's where you're uh, speaking to us today from, from Washington, D.C., uh, what will you be speaking about and what does it mean to be included in that setting? The conversation is, is hip hop and, and, and politics and just the, the, the power of, of, of culture and just economic and um, viability. So I think, you know, for us, you know, we've been able to find and release more of our identity through culture, as far as like just the, the black community and just, you know, what also comes with that is, you know, economic viability and, and, and ownership. So be able to, to talk to that through a lens of hip hop and, and culture is going to be really, really cool. Andre Carson is a pillar, you know, in, in our community and just very well connected and very insightful and just 
his ability to galvanize people and, and networks around very important conversation as it relates to, um, you know, culture in the black community is, is exceptional. So being on a panel uh, with, with, you know, Congressman Carson and, and Dame Dash, uh, you know, co-founder of, of Rockefeller you know, Records is, is an honor. And I think it, it, it says a lot for Indianapolis, too. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, is happening in, in our city that I'll be able to speak to as our art and culture renaissance is, is leading the charge across the nation. I think it's just a good recognition, once again, for Indianapolis and everything that we're doing as a city. Amor Gang Gang has a goal to raise $500,000 by the end of 2022. What would uh, that type of uh, money allow you to do? Capacity built. So, I mean, so, I mean, what, what we're trying to do right now is we've, we've created this, this supply and demand relationship where there's a lot of demand for culture right now and, and, and creatives and, and uh, uh, innovative thinkers, uh, critical thinkers. I mean, all through the lens of, of creativity and the creative economy. So I think, you know, for us, there, you know, we get constant questions about artists and just like, you know, different projects and there's all types of, you know, collaborations and, and, and things that people want to do, people on the ground, artists, and also, you know, corporations and organizations who want to, you know, collaborate. And for us, it's just, you know, making, looking at our bandwidth. I mean, we're, we're a team of six, you know, right now, and we want to be able to say yes to everything that comes across our our, our, our desk and in our offices. And, and this is something that we you know, feel is super important right now as it relates to the evolution and transformation of Indianapolis to be, you know, the most equitable, coolest city in America. So we want to do all the things uh, as it relates to our mission and vision. And, you know, having that, um, you know, capital will help us build the capacity to meet the need. All right. So this is a two-year-old enterprise. Yeah. What does a successful future look like for gang? Man. Yeah, it's, we, we're, we're a two-year-old cultural startup that took, you know, a, a $250,000 seed investment and turned that into, uh, you know, $4 million of, uh, you know, direct impact into the creative economy in, uh, in two years, you know, so we... We're, do more of that yeah we're on to something i mean it, it's 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 working and you know we see the impact and you know for us i think it's, it's to to make more uh in, in more ways and just really elevate indianapolis i think it's about um you know dave like you talked about you asked about the creative renaissance that's happening i think it's about acknowledging that there have been um these have happened there have been a few of these and you know in the course of history and so we're saying that we're going to do this one equitably. The beneficiaries are in front. So I think it's about like testing, experimenting with new ecosystems and really narrating the process. I think, yeah, the future is about advocacy and narration. So naturally having success introduces the likelihood that you might be criticized or there might be chances for a learning curve. Um, It's not uncommon, for instance, to see online comments uh, that express a sentiment of why do these initiatives only include black artists? And when I see that, my thought process goes to the difference between equality and equity. And if it's helpful, uh, could I just ask you to talk through the difference between those two things? I think it, the first question is kind of like, what's the deal with the heavy slant toward black artists? What is the deal with the reparational aspect of our work? Um, We have been very clear, actually, from the beginning that we are about the creative economy and that we support artists and cultural entrepreneurs, period. We do have a reparational slant 
uh, to our work because of the truth of America that we have discovered. That Black creativity has had such a significant impact into the into the creative culture of America, and that has not been acknowledged. And so, yes, we have a very intentional yeah. reparational slant toward that culture in addition to our support for creatives at large. And like, you know, the, the, the prior answer before uh, about truth um, and, and, and what that means and just, you know, being vulnerable and, and transparent and as it relates to American culture. And, and maybe this is on the, on the same, you know, nodes of like critical race theory, no matter you know, what side of the fence that you're on, but you know, I can get to the same output of, of that theory via culture um, because I can just talk about Chuck Berry. Right. When you think about rock and roll music and the first thing you think about is Elvis and you think Elvis is the king of rock and roll. But, but it's, it was not Elvis. It's Chuck Berry. It's Little Richard. It's Muddy Waters. It's Buddy Guy. So it's, it's all this you know, context within our history that if that was realized, if that was known. Right. And then we can teach it through a cultural context because that's how we connect. And that's the importance of, of these conversations. That's, that's the importance of Black creativity. Because once that is revealed, then, then, things are, then we can dispel what we call racism here in America. That's the, the very first step is acknowledgement. So we're trying to make sure that we get the authorship correct uh, you know, first. And that's going to enable us to open doors to have critical conversations that really actually leads to equity and not just equality. So equity, there, uh, there needs to be some sense of sacrifice of privilege, you know, to, to be able to choose equity. So there's a lot of things that happen, I think, within the country and just how we've responded to, you know, everything 2020, everything prior to 2020 has been equality work. Uh, equity uh, requires uh, sacrifice. It requires a, a, the knowledge of the author. Right. So I think that's kind of what drives uh, some of our positions. But, you know, once again, it's it, it's not. Um, that truth is very, very important, but also people of culture are important. Um, you know, Butter took all creatives to build Butter. We, we centered, you know, the art on the walls as, as Black creatives. Uh, but as it comes to making Butter, all races, all colors, all people, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a group effort. And, and it's something that we found out how to galvanize uh, communities um, is, is, is through culture. A beautiful thing about it is like how I heard from the Asian community and the Latino community at Butter saying, what was the infrastructure you used? How long did this take to build? How can we knowledge share? And it's like, heck yeah, oh my gosh, let's do, let's do something together. Let's make more. Um, That's the beautiful part of all of this. Yeah. I've experienced the same thing where other people trying to uplift culture in Indianapolis have said, wow, what a nice blueprint. Oh, what a useful blueprint gang gang is, is providing. And, and it's, you know, I'm not surprised to hear it, but it's nice to hear that you take that in, uh, in the spirit of, uh, of a compliment. Mm. No, I mean, I think, and, and that's, you know, we, we can't, no one can own culture. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, one of my favorite songs ever is um, um, Sting, If I Ever Lose My Faith in You. You know what I mean? So, I mean, he, he, he says you, but he doesn't describe who or what you is in the song, but everybody loves a song because you have your own individual association to it, right? And I think that's also the power of culture, right? Just not, uh, you know, just being able to allow that to exist for everyone. Um, and you can do that in a lot of different ways and, and myriads, and, and we've chosen art because of the, the power of connectivity. I think though, to point out to your earlier point, uh, having a, a blueprint without authorship 
is not as cool. Yeah. You know, so just to. <clears throat> it's, yeah. ma- it's manufactured cool. If the, if the actual author isn't recognized, then what is it? Theft. Well, we focused on visual art and we've talked a little bit about music, but I did want to ask what's exciting in Indianapolis music uh, that people should know about. Yeah, there's so much, man. Um, I think about the DJs. I think about Siren Simone. Yeah, the DJs right now are crazy. Our dancers are crazy, but yeah, D- I think, yeah, I'm, we're going to give some nods to the DJs. I mean, shout out to DJ Metronome, for what uh, he's building Nick Salgo, what he's building, just all the kids that he's teaching. And it's not even just about the technique of, of being like a DJ, but just understanding music. And just how that just like connects you. So I mean, shout out to the DJ Metronol. I think we we probably have the best group uh, and sect of DJs in the country, hands down, per capita for sure. But like, just who we're producing out of Indianapolis, crazy. I want to um, yeah shout out Oreo Jones and the Shrees Festival. Yeah, um, we've had some recent conversations with him and are excited about what that can still become. Um, so I'm excited about the the music scene leading and taking its big role in the, in the Renaissance. Yeah. That's Shout out to OJ 81355. So actually I'm getting a, a vision of trees 2023 and uh, some gang gang involvement. I'm getting a vision. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that vision will come true. Help us make it come true. Yeah. More, more, more to come for that for sure. All right. Thanks so much for your time today, Molly and Alan. Alan, have a great day. Thank you so much. My thanks again to Dave Lindquist, Molly Jeffers, and Alan Bacon. And folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are several stories in the latest edition of IBJ I want to draw to your attention. First up, Indianapolis-based Point Biopharma Global is in an uncomfortable spot. Well, it has raised hundreds of millions of dollars to develop its pipeline of specialty drugs that target cancer. It's still spending tens of millions of dollars a year trying to get its lead drug through trials and approved by the FDA. John Russell explains why another share offering recently spooked investors. Also in this week's issue, Peter Blanchard takes a close look at Indiana's U.S. Senate race between Republican incumbent Todd Young and Democrat Tom McDermott. And Susan Orr explains how Indianapolis is playing a key role in a Mexican company's plans to disrupt the shrimp farming industry. Again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or, of course, online at IBJ.com. I will say it is easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And here's a new development. We have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business. And that works out to just about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.